This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The federal conservatives are holding a convention in Quebec City. It's going to be a coming together for the first time in a couple of years. Well, first time since they elected Pierre Polyev as leader. This is a different sort of convention. It's about policy. It's about planning to take over the world, as they might say on Pinky in the Brain. But are they in the big leagues or are they playing small ball? Hi, I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Full Comment Podcast. Before we bring in our next guest who knows all about winning campaigns and losing campaigns, as you do when you're in politics for a while, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to Full Comment on whatever app or device you're listening to. Uh, please make sure you do hit subscribe so you don't miss any issues. Hit the like button. Share a review. Tell your friends about us. Help us out. So how does Pierre Polyev take the issues that will be discussed at the convention, some which will be landmines, some which will offer opportunities. How does he take all that and then thread the needle of bringing in new voters while keeping the base happy? Keeping the base happy while not alienating people who the last few times to the voting booth have cast a ballot for Justin Trudeau, but are now, well, growing tired of. And how did they do all this without allowing the liberals to paint the conservatives in a negative light? Corey Tonight has run campaigns for Doug Ford, provincially here in Ontario, who's also been at the high level of uh, communications on federal campaigns and run other roles. Corey, welcome to the studio. Hey, great to be here with you. So uh, let's talk about this. It, it looks like a good moment for Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. Things are looking good, but the caveat is we don't know when an election is. It could be a couple of months away, given that it's a minority. It could be 2025. He's got big mo, as they say, big momentum, big momentum right now. I look. I, I think uh, all the leaders went into the summer to do your your regular summer tour to get out there to try to drum up some support for their for their uh, their approach, their political uh, agenda, and uh, and clearly Polyev had the best summer. Uh, he's he's up considerably in the polls, uh, and and particularly in some key areas in the GTA. Uh, in uh, in British Columbia, which you know, has has been a played a fairly pivotal role in the last couple of elections, uh, in terms of uh, putting more liberals in, in office than uh, uh, than we'd seen in in the couple of decades preceding that. Uh, but he's also up in Quebec and in the Maritimes. So you know, it's 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 everything's kind of come coming up roses uh, uh, this fall for for Pierre Polyev, and uh, I think there's some good reasons for it. I'm not used to seeing such big swings in the summertime, though. Yeah. You? Well, I think there are a couple of things that are helping to drive that, though. Uh, one is that we saw some interest rate h hikes going into the summer. So, you know, a lot of this cost of living and 
concerns about mortgage payments, those kinds of issues uh, have been very top of mind for Canadians. So uh, I, I think that's part of it. Uh, and uh, and that issue set is really something that Polyev has, has, has spoken about at length for decades now. He's been uh, keep more of your money, uh, uh, allowing people to keep more of their money in their pocket kind of politician. Uh, and he's been consistent on that over the years. Very consistent on it. And so, you know, uh, he's kind of having a moment. Like the, the, the issue set for, I think, a lot of the middle class is, is pretty harmonious to what he's been talking about for a long time. So I, I think that's been helpful. And I think the other thing that's been helpful is uh, uh, they haven't been talking about Chinese electoral interference exclusively, which I, I think is one of those issues that, uh, uh, you know, it's big in the media, it's big in, in the uh, parliament and question period. And, uh, and you know, when you see uh, the government uh, having a bunch of missteps, there's a temptation to, you know, switch to that issue set uh, to score some points. But, I, I you know, as fun as that is, I think you're always better served to be on the issues that are affecting a broad swath of the middle, middle class. And, and when we've seen uh, Polya focused on on the economy, on cost of living issues, uh, we've seen them go up. And uh, I think it draws a, a great contrast with the liberals who seem to be really struggling. Like they they came in in 2015 on an agenda of trying to grow the middle class to try to be champions for the middle class. And somewhere along the way, and those working lost, hard to join it and those working hard to join it. But they seem to have lost the plot a little bit. Uh, you know, they tried to do a bit of a reboot with the cabinet shuffle. Uh, they, you know, had a cabinet retreat where they said they were going to come out and talk about uh, housing. And while they did a bit of talking about it, there wasn't really a clear message uh, coming out of that that seemed to uh, uh, to, to resonate with uh, with the public uh, more broadly. So, you know, all of that to say the the liberal reboot over the summer was a bit of a wet firecracker, and uh, and Polyev sort of. Uh, uh, image work, uh, his uh, personal adver- like the advertising campaign to sort of introduce him to voters uh, seems to uh, uh, have landed quite well. Um, and uh, and the issue set is, I think, perfect for him. So, you know, you all of those things together and you, you end up uh, where we are right now, which is him really on, on the doorstep of a majority government here. If the polls hold. If the polls hold, right? It's a long Folks way to fickle. It's a long way to Tipperary and there's a long way yet to go. As uh, as the saying goes, um, but uh, you know, all, all things being equal, you're better to be <laughs> be up than down, and uh, and, and you know, in politics, your 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 enemies and your problems tend to accumulate over time, and uh, which is why uh, you got to go back to Wilfrid Laurier to find a government that's the, that's been able to win four times in a row. It's really hard to do. Uh, we tried in 2015 unsuccessfully for the Conservative Party with with Harper. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I see a lot of similarities in terms of the position that, that Trudeau is in now as to what we were at, at that time, you know, where there's just some fatigue. You know, the old saying that, uh, every day in politics, you put a pebble in your backpack. And after eight years, uh, of, uh, pebbles, you know, it starts getting pretty heavy and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard. To, it, it, it's hard. Uh, so I think there, there's a bunch of things going for them sort of historically and, uh, uh, in that sense, that uh, it feels like this is going to be a change election. Is the housing and cost of living issue enough to get him through? Uh, because with both his base and with the people he's opposing, there are a lot of cultural issues that people try and, and get going. Does he need to avoid those? Does he need to latch on to them? Um, will saying 
I'll get you better housing. I'll get you a lower cost of living. I'll, you know, bring it home, as you keep saying. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that's, that's the main message, but that doesn't have to be the only message. Uh, and I think it's always a bit of a balancing act to try to uh, strike a balance between keeping your, your volunteers, your supporters, the people who fund your election campaigns, uh, energized and engaged. Uh, and, and they like a few of those, you know, red meat issues a little bit more than the general public does. But, you know, in, in modern campaigning communications, your ability to micro target now is, is greater than it's ever been before. Uh, so, you know, you can tailor some of those, those messages, uh, whether it's, uh, things that they're going to be debating at the convention, like around transgender issues and, and the interface between, you know, role of parents and role of schools. Uh, you know, th th those kinds of issues will, will, will certainly energize part of their base. And I don't think they should be overly concerned, um, uh, about the voices saying, you know, you can't talk about any of these things. You can talk about anything you want. It's, you know, but where you put the most emphasis, I think it should still be the economic messages. And, and, and I assume that that will be. But when you're meeting with a family, you know, so to speak, your, your political family at a convention, especially a policy convention, there's an expectation that you're going to talk about some of those things. And if you don't do that, uh, you do risk alienating, uh, some uh, or decreasing the enthusiasm level of some of those core supporters. So I, I think it's trying to strike the right balance. Well, on, on the issue of, um, gender identity and parental rights we've been told for weeks that this is a very controversial issue uh, the, the prime minister uh, declared what blaine higgs is doing what now scott moe and to a degree what uh, doug ford's education ministry stephen lecce said as an expectation in that parents be informed before their child's gender or pronouns are changed we were told endlessly that this was incredibly controversial and then a poll comes controversial out controversial to whom though it's yes. certainly not to parents like 82 percent of parents with kids under 18 yeah. said they support what blaine higgs is doing 78 percent of the general public and 69 percent of people who voted liberal last time yeah. so i mean that's a that's a disconnect where the, those are the the, those, those are super majorities and as you know from having covered politics for for a long time uh brian you don't see those kinds of numbers around consensus around almost any issue like this is like saying the sky is blue in fact i'm not sure you could get 80 82 percent of canadians <laughs> to agree that the sky is blue and 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 maybe rightfully so probably cloudy in some some of those neighborhoods but uh look i i, I don't see that as as highly controversial um you know i've watched with interest scott moe's uh announcements in this area and uh and you know when polled they're extremely popular so talking about popular things isn't going to be a problem and uh you know and we're in a we're in a world you have kids i have kids you need to you need a parental uh sign off on on darn near everything these well, days you, school you, yeah 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 you, you know you can't go visit the uh, the royal ontario museum without a parental permission form but you know uh the, so the thought that that the school isn't going to communicate uh with parents around some of these issues is uh uh i think strikes a lot of parents as as preposterous the um the same time as that's coming up, you've got the um, the Trudeau Liberals changing an, an advisory to the states, trying to warn uh, people in the LGBTQ community that going to the United States is dangerous, and then claiming, <laughs> oh no, we, we had nothing to do with this. <clears throat> Corey, there's no way that I can see a, you, and you've worked in the federal government, I have right. not, but is there any way you can see that advisory being changed without I, political involvement i 
can't. Like I, it's, certain, it, it's you know, ultimately, uh, the diplomatic and other uh, consequences of doing that are so so high that you know you, the thought that the ministers wouldn't uh, wouldn't see that before is is uh, difficult to imagine in so my mind. This to me tells me that the Trudeau Liberals playbook is still to go on social issues from a different perspective than yep. what some of the the conservative base will be doing this week. Uh, but you know, in my view, it looks like they want to campaign against Republican governors and right. Donald Trump and try and tie Pierre Polyev to that. Well, there, there's a real danger in doing that because uh, Donald Trump isn't on the ballot and <laughs> nor, nor is uh, Ron DeSantis or, uh, you know, anyone else. Uh, so, you know, you've got to fight the opponent that's on the ballot against you. And uh, uh, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, ill-advised to take that approach. Uh, if that's their, you know, chief electoral strategy that, uh, that they're just going to try to denormalize uh, Paulia by uh, by trying to affiliate him with uh, with politicians in another jurisdiction like a, that's that's weak sauce to me. I, I think there's uh, lots of lots of reasons that, that they should be able to come up with that are um, uh, a reason for their reelection or a critique of the opposition. Like you know, you don't have to go there. I think and 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 going there at, in, in my experience hasn't hasn't worked out well for those who've tried it. Well, in Trudeau has been. Um, become a bit of an expert in dragging American politics into the Canadian scene. I mean, when uh, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, you would have thought it was the Supreme Court in Ottawa. Right. Um, and, and so he plays on these. Uh, there's a mass shooting He in the States. He makes a, a gun announcement in Canada. Right. Right. Well, you know, uh, they have done those things in the past, but like looking at where they're at in the polls, I would say it's not working so well for them. Like, I, I think the challenge that the, that the liberals have is that they have not responded in a particularly effective fashion to the cost of living crisis. Uh, there's a consensus with almost every premier that the, the carbon tax should be paused at the very least. And in many cases, uh, you have premiers saying it should be rolled back entirely. Um, uh, this is the, you know, the personal side. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, instead, what they've opted for is some highly targeted programs that basically are aimed towards the lowest income 10% of the Canadian population. There's nothing wrong with, with, with doing that in and of itself. But that, if that's all you're doing, it's pretty hard to say that you're the champion of the middle class if all the stuff that you're doing is, is, is blowing past them and yeah. going to another group of people. It's, uh, you know, I, so, which is why I say I think they've kind of lost the plot. Like they, they were elected on a uh, on an agenda aimed very squarely at at, at middle uh, middle class voters, and uh, and they seem to have forgotten that they they haven't done really anything in this term of office that you can point to um, uh, that is making life better or easier for those folks. And at the same time, you know, you you've seen uh, actions whether it's increases in the carbon tax or uh, whether it's uh, high interest rates, which are you know. Uh, Polly was correct, <laughs> uh, a, a function of government overspending and the pandemic. So, uh, you know, when you add those things together, they've done some stuff that have hurt the middle class and they haven't done anything for them. And and at the same time, you've got Polly out every day uh, beating a drum saying, you know, we can do better and I'm going to uh, make sure that you have more money in your pocket at the end of the day. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a strong message. There are uh, proposals on things like 
freedom of speech, which somehow has become controversial. Uh, remember when everyone used to agree on that at least, but that's now become far right. Um, but I don't think I don't think uh, adopting a, a policy on freedom of speech is going to win you voters or lose you voters. Uh, but an issue that you had to deal with in running Doug Ford's successful reelection campaign was around issues related to relitigating the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they've got one on bodily autonomy in vaccines. Right. Um, that That is a, a active and agitated and organized group of people, but it's not very big. Yeah. Look, it's less than 10% of the population who are, are um, really animated by those issues. And uh, and they're split between a few parties. And uh, some of them are kind of more on the, the, the hard libertarian edge of the party. And Max Bernier has obviously been, been trying to build a party around catering to those folks. But half of them are, are you know, found uh, a, a more comfortable home in, in like the Green Party. So I, I say it's kind of two sides. There's like the live free or die, privatize the sidewalks crowd. And then there's the uh, the placenta eaters, the uh, the folks who want to have a hundred hundred mile diet and think that pharmaceutical companies are trying to kill them. So like, it, you know, it's there. You know, there's two sides, I guess, two two you know, packs within that that environment. Uh, only half of them, I think, are truly accessible to the conservatives. Those are the PPC folks. And at the end of the day, the number of reasons that those people have to dislike Trudeau go so far beyond uh, anything related to, to, to pandemic measures or vaccine mandates, et cetera. Like, they're unhappy with the Trudeau government on a whole range of issues. And that's only one of them. And that's one that's sort of in the rearview mirror, in my view. Uh, so, like, I, I don't think that... <clears throat> I expect it'll be talked about. Uh, you know, it's obvious there'll be resolutions on it. We'll see where where the party goes. But I I would be really surprised if you saw that as a central plank in uh, in uh, election platform by Polio. Oh, me me as well. Um, but I want I want to get your insight on your decision in the 2022 election in Ontario to say we're not going to relitigate COVID. Yeah, we're, we're, I, I think you your attitude was basically, and this is watching from the outside. Don't talk about the pandemic. Yeah. It's over. It's over. move on. And I remember going to you know one of these panels at the, the Albany Club after the election, and all the parties had representatives there, and the Liberal and New Democrat representatives both said they made a mistake talking about the pandemic. They made a mistake yeah. bringing up masking, and uh, they said people recoiled. They just wanted to not talk about it. So when I look at uh, Danielle Smith's election win in Alberta, she was trying to relitigate the pandemic. Yep. And then when she stopped and switched to other issues, yep. she won. So what would your advice be to, uh, to Polyev and those people who think that, no, we need to fight on this? Well, it, it would be, you gotta, you know, you can't major in the minors. Like you've gotta, you gotta be on the big issues that affect everyone. And you want to be focused on the things that are, um, of the greatest relevance to the greatest number of people. And right now that's, that's clearly around cost of living issues. Uh, that's, that's where, you know, a lot of Canadians are feeling pain and, and suffering from, you know, economic anxiety. It's, it's worrying about, oh, my, you know, my mortgage is going to have to be renewed in a year or two years. And I'm not sure whether I can afford it based on today's interest rates. Like those are, those are the issues that I, I think really are, are going to affect the most people. And, and you want to be focused on those. 
um, you know, th that said, uh, I don't believe that there should be topics that you, you can't talk about. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we'll have a debate about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be focused on the things that are going to touch the lives of the greatest number of people. Every party has these things around their policy conventions. Uh, I think the last one, the Liberals um, voted for a policy that said uh, jail journalists who um, use uh, unnamed sources or, <laughs> right. or prosecute. Maybe, maybe God, they'd so all be in jail. jail. We'd all be in jail. Uh, <laughs> as someone who's been an unnamed source, I hope they're not going to throw us in prison too. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, I perhaps use unnamed sources on a regular basis. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, I think it's a staple of uh, journalism it, everywhere. So, yeah. Uh, so they had that. I remember the Green Party once having a, uh, a policy, uh, debate on, um, endorsing polyamorous relationships. Uh, right. Uh, and, and, you know, and th these are things that well, make people on the outside they, scratch. They have a lot more fun conventions, I'm guessing, if they're debating that stuff. But, um, but, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, there'll, there'll be some stories about something that somebody deems controversial. But unless it's in the platform, does it matter? I don't think it matters. Uh, I don't think it matters. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to, uh, to, to rally the troops. I think it's an opportunity to get some energy. Um, you know, going into a convention when your numbers are up like polyops are right now is it, it, it's kind of like shooting pucks in an open net, though, in terms of um, uh, maintaining a level of excitement. You know, uh, what motivates political parties more than anything else is winning. <laughs> they really like to win. It's sort of the I purpose, hear, I hear, purpose of the whole endeavor at the end of the day. I hear it brings about discipline, too. Yeah, it does. You know, there's nothing like a little bit of success to uh, put some steam in everyone's stride. And so I, I expect it's it's going to be a pretty uh, pretty raucous gathering. And uh, uh, and I think it's important that they're doing it in Quebec City because you've seen uh, uh, you've seen the numbers go up for Polyev. Uh, he speaks French fluently. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, there could be an opportunity to do better in Quebec than, than anybody anticipated. I don't think you need Quebec to win a majority government. You know, certainly our friend Jenny Byrne and, uh, and Har and Prime Minister Harper demonstrated that, uh, in 2011. You can win a majority government in Canada without, uh, significant support in Quebec. But it sure makes it a hell of a lot easier if you do have some. And if you could go from, you know, 10 seats, which is kind of around where the, where the conservative party base is in the province now to something like 20, boy, oh boy, does a majority government get easier to do. Absolutely. I want to talk to you about Quebec and trying to put too much focus on Quebec as the, the party has done in previous elections, maybe, maybe the last two. Yeah. Uh, but also I want to talk to you about uh, those elusive swing voters, those suburban moms that I, I guess back in the Clinton days, we used to call them soccer moms. I mm -hmm. don't know what we're calling them now. We'll talk about that after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Winning a majority government, that is obviously the goal, but how does Pierre Polyev do that? And are you surprised that we're even talking about that? Corey, tonight, a um, couple months ago, people would have said, you know, if Pierre Polyev wins, if the conservatives win, it'll be a 
be a minority, maybe even a weak minority. Yeah. Now on the cusp of a majority, if not outright there, it you know would depend on a lot of factors, including regional ones. But let's talk about what you were mentioning just a minute ago about Quebec. Um, it Stephen Harper won without significant support. He, he went up in Quebec in 2011, but not hugely. He, yeah. You know, he's bounced between, in those days, I think it was between 10 and 14 seats yep. in his time. And they're at about 10 now. Um, but before every election, along comes somebody whispering sweet nothings to Joël Denis Bellavance, our friend at La Presse, mm -hmm. great journalist on the Hill. Uh, and, and it's, ooh, conservatives think they can win 25 seats in Quebec. And there's always a section of the party that wants to push Quebec issues. And, you know, I, l I look at um, the last two elections around the, uh, was it Bill 21 in yeah. Quebec, the anti-religious symbols. If either Andrew Scheer or Aaron O'Toole had come out against that and campaigned in the 905 and the lower mainland against that, yeah. he would have, they would have picked up significant seats. Yeah. But they, they were, and the people around them were convinced, we're going to win big in Quebec. How do you manage that? The the lure of, you know, Diefenbaker's what fifty seven seats, right? Uh, against the reality that it's not going to happen. Yeah, <clears throat> well, and in, even in Diefenbaker's case, it was really in our kind of win lease program uh, from uh, <laughs> Duplessis. So, I I I I think you need to maintain coherence in terms of what you're talking about. Um, the idea that you can run a separate campaign in Quebec as a theory that uh, has uh, a long track record of failure in terms of conservative politics and conservative leaders. So I, I think you want to, you know, you want to maintain that that focus on the economy. Uh, interest rates and cost of living issues are as, as acute in Quebec as they are everywhere else. Uh, I think you see a little bit of uh, a better housing situation in terms of housing affordability in the province and so those issues are, are a little less acute there than they are in the gta and the gda um but uh but there's still issues right so i i think you just want to maintain your focus i think you want to have a coherent campaign that uh, is really coast to coast to coast uh and uh and not uh you know uh as you say uh, do things that are going to harm you in other parts of the country uh, in a in a vain effort to to try to to win votes in Quebec, Quebecers have a, a long history of of uh, being a bit uh, contradictory in terms of some of the the, the governments and and ideologies that, that they support. You know, so you had uh, the PQ uh, winning big majorities provincially at the same time that Pierre Trudeau was winning big federal liberal uh, majorities and with the same electorate. So, you know. Uh, I don't think you have to um, uh, parrot Legault in order to uh, be politically successful there. Uh, you know, but I, parroting Legault could hurt you in other could, parts of the country. Well, particularly uh, with some new Canadians, there's you know there's a vein of xenophobia in Quebec politics, and Legault has certainly tapped into that in a in a significant way. Um, but the consensus around immigration in the rest of the country is very different than, than what it is in Quebec. And, and I would say, um, you know, if you were to take a Lego approach at a national level here, I, I would have a lot of difficulty seeing uh, you'd be able to, 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 to win seats that you need to in the, in the GTA and the GDA. It's, it, that approach is just a non-starter. Uh, 
because you have you know huge uh, new Canadian populations in those cities, and uh, you know they don't uh, they obviously don't uh, like that message. Crap. Immigration, though, um, do we still have a consensus, or is there a potential for the consensus to fray a bit, um, especially around the housing crisis? The Liberals went very quickly mm-hmm. in the space of about two weeks from saying, you know, a- any connection that you want to make between the housing crisis and immigration is racist to, holy crap, who let 900,000 foreign students <laughs> yeah, in? Right. Um, well, it, they did, is the answer. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, and, um, uh, you know, we were speaking with uh, you know, our mutual friend, Warren Kinsella, earlier, and he was on Jazz jo- uh, Joe Hall's show in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And Jazz was asking him, isn't it time that we paused immigration and shut things down due to the housing crisis? So it well, seems to be a, a, a bitter here, concern. Here, here's the challenge. Uh, the biggest throttle on our economy and our economic growth right now, including building housing, is a lack of workers. You know, in the province of Ontario right now, we still have about 400,000 job vacancies with, with no one, no applicants. And about a third of those, so about, uh, uh, sorry, a little less than that, about 100,000 of them would be in the healthcare space. So these are uh, personal support workers, PSWs, as they say, uh, nurses, uh, uh, people in that healthcare space, uh, lab techs, et cetera. Uh, but 300,000 of them are, are in skilled trades. These are uh, folks who are going to be swinging hammers and pouring concrete. Uh, like th- These are the folks that are actually required to build housing. And when you look at housing affordability and housing construction costs, labor costs have gone vertical because we're so short workers. So, you know, I, I don't think that you can get to where we need to go economically and including on on, on housing construction uh, without significant immigration, the challenge is to try to keep pace. And or you know, do we need to change the focus of what the immigration is? I mean, yeah. nine hundred thousand uh, foreign students in a year is, is primarily putting a strain on rentals. Rentals, yeah, rentals, a, and, rentals and, in specific markets. And uh, Mike Moffat, who's uh, eleven thousand of those uh, are in Ontario. And uh, overwhelmingly in the GTA, so and some out in London. And yeah. Mike Moffat, the um, economist researcher, very much on the liberal side of things, but he's done a he's done charts showing that the areas with the largest numbers have the rental crunch. So uh, how, how do you balance that to try and gotta, ease the rental mm-hmm. crunch, but not leave these schools? Without well, you, what's become an important source of income for them. Well, there are other other things that you can do, like in terms of funding of universities. That's not the only way. Although uh, you got to say that you know the, the bringing students into Canada is something that has worked out really well for us in terms of foreign students. It's one of the ways that we uh, that that we fill that that vacancy in our economy in terms of the lack of workers. You know, we have very generous entitlement programs and and pension plans, et cetera, et cetera, but. You know, when you go from, you know, 15 people working for every one retired person to six people working for every one retired person, uh, a lot of, a lot of those things become very difficult to maintain. So, you know, we, and, and you can look at other countries in the world that are having huge demographic problems right now, like China being one. Um, uh, you don't want to be in that position. You know, you had stagnation in the Japanese economy for, for two decades as a result of, of a similar effect. So, you know, I, I don't think immigration's the issue. I think it's it's essential that we do it, but 
there is, you know, it's incumbent on the federal government to to participate in solving some of these problems. And I think that this is another space where uh, they've really ceded the field to, to Polyab. Uh, you know, they, they're coming to realize now that housing's an issue. Well, housing's been an issue for a long time. They just haven't been talking about it and they haven't been doing anything on it. So, um, you know, if you're going to let in 900,000 students, that's not the end of the world. Uh, but did you do anything to provide housing support? You know, uh, there's nothing saying that the federal government couldn't build uh, uh, residences for, uh, for foreign students and provide the funding to universities to do that. Uh, so you know, you've got the guys who are controlling the, the immigration lever uh, in some of these areas that have abdicated their responsibility to, to, to have a plan on the housing side. So, you know, it's <laughs> the immigration, it's, the former immigration minister is now the housing minister yeah, right. and saying how this happened. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it, it, at a certain point, it, it looks like incompetence. Right. And and that's another narrative that if we're talking about the pebbles in the backpack analogy, those confidence issues are are the things that I, I think are, have been plaguing the government in a number of areas, uh, and uh, and they're cumulative. So and this is just another one where it looks like they were you know asleep at the switch. So your advice: don't change on immigration. We still need it. So I mean, we've kind of been hearing that from from Polyev. It's also immigration is central to his story. One of the things the liberals all, always try and do is portray conservatives as anti-immigration uh which is you know they laughable now when you look at stephen harper's entire uh uh tenure in office he was bringing in record numbers of people right and then the Mm -hmm. liberals came in and said hold my beer and 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 jacked (laughs) it up even more so it's it but pierre's personal story right is one of immigration uh through his wife anna uh those personal stories you know, some liberals are ve- being very critical that she's out there all the time. It's like they're suddenly upset that politicians have spouses because the PM just recently announced a separation. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's an odd thing. I, and I'm not going to pick on Justin Trudeau for yeah, well, separation yeah. or his personal life. That's that's not the point. But um, do those personal stories of uh, work for Pierre in terms of his wife, is to school teachers being yeah. adopted all of that yeah i i think um uh, i think they do help i think i think his wife is a is, is a great asset and uh i look to uh, uh the night of his leadership victory um her speech was incredibly compelling mm-hmm. and uh i think her participation in the the tour this summer is has has been very positive in terms of uh um softening this image uh with uh, with female voters in particular um, but I also think the advertising campaign, uh, involving her and voiced by her, uh, is, uh, you know, has, has landed well, you know, and you're, you're seeing the, the upshot of that. I think if we, if we were to fast forward to after the next election, I think, uh, and do some analysis on where things went wrong with the Liberal Party, irrespective of what the, 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 uh, outcome of that election is, I think there'll be a lot of criticism of their decision not to do uh, attack ads very early on in, uh, in uh, Polyev's, uh, uh, after Polyev's ascension to he, leadership. He, he won September 10th, right? Right, yeah. I, I, I would have had them running on September 11th. Right, you know, and, and if you look at uh, successful campaigns of the Harper era, that was a critical component. The 
uh, defining of Stefan Dion, the defining of Michael Ignatia. Uh, and there was an attempt to do it with, with Trudeau as well. A lot more difficult in the case of Trudeau because he uh, was a household name. You know, he was as well known as the prime minister was. Um, same was not true for Stefan Dion and uh, Michael Ignatiev. So he was a lot harder to do that on. But they would have had that opportunity with Polyev and they chose not to do it. I assume that part of that is, is their fundraising issues. They've uh, clearly been out fundraised by the Conservatives by a huge margin. And for some time now. Yeah, for some time now. So I, I imagine there's some resource issues uh, uh, there that are, are probably part of the answer on that. But that doesn't explain the complete lack of attempt to do so. And I think uh, the annals of history will record that that was a, a major campaign uh, error. I, I swear that, and, and this is not being mean to, uh, to Pierre, but I could have written those attack ads. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. It's, you know, he, he's someone who's been in politics a long time. He has a record. And if you're in the politics of the public eye, you're going to say things or do things that will annoy some people. And these ad campaigns are often just an, an attempt to remind people. And, right. and, and I'm still gobsmacked that they, they didn't do that. Um, so let's talk about the, the image rebranding, the, the glasses and, um, Someone at work was saying to me when um, he started wearing the T-shirt that, "Wow, Pierre's jacked." Yeah, and yeah. I said, He's a "Very fit guy." He, well, he has been for a long time, and I told them, "Like, you know, he and I lived near each other when I was in Ottawa. The, we were both in the South End, and I'd run into him at a local gym." And I said, "Obviously, he kept going, and I stopped." <laughs> he's he's been in shape for a long time. Yeah. Um, yes. uh, so, does that like? How how does that play into it? Is is that a big issue when you're running a campaign like like you've done? Yeah, well, look, it it, it can be a barrier if uh, you know those image things can be a barrier uh, between you and voters sometimes. Like if you know uh, you know if you're you're wearing three piece suits all the time, uh, it's hard to look like you're uh, a common guy, right? So. Yeah, there, there, there's yeah, exactly. He's well, you know, we trade Rolexes on the on the plane uh, once in a while, kind of like swatches. Uh, uh, yeah, like, but but look, like I I think I think to use that example, I think uh, uh, Jagmeet's um, uh, image and his choices around how he dresses and presents himself do create a barrier between him and some of uh, the NDP voters. Uh, they don't really see themselves in uh, in that context, so. Um, you know, I, I think it's important, but I think it can be overstated. I don't think his image was particularly poor before, and I don't think this, you know, makeover, so to speak, is 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 really what's driving it. Um, I think the advertising campaign where you're humanizing him and where he's talking about his family and talking about his kids and and uh, being relatable in that way, I think that that's where the image stuff is is uh, is really important and, and where they've had some big success. But in glasses, no glasses, at, at the end of the day, I don't think that's really what the issue is. The politics is often emotional as opposed to rational. Right. And so where do you find that balance? He's got to he's got to find those suburban mothers in Markham, in Langley, yep. uh, in the GTA and the GVA, who have the the last two elections whether they held their nose or didn't, voted for Trudeau as others were leaving him. We know that suburban women have been the ones that put Trudeau over the edge and 
We saw the last campaign. He, he campaigned in British Columbia and Ontario against Alberta's COVID policies to right. scare people. Right. Uh, so how does Pierre reach those those voters? And in, in, in this context, because every time I say you've got to bring over swing voters, there's you know somebody in the conservative milieu will say, well, I don't want to be a liberal. Why do we appeal to them? Because you need voters from all oh, over. Like a, so, like, but how do you do it without alienating? Yeah, well, I think it, it's it's sticking on on those those big macro um, economic messages that that he's had such success with, and uh, um, uh, I think carbon tax continues to be a huge winner for them. Uh, you know, you, long gone are the days where I, I think the liberals can get away with saying if you don't support a carbon tax, you don't care about climate change. Uh, you know, all, all the public opinion research I've seen does not support that narrative. Uh, and in part because they look to the south of the border and, and they see Biden, you know, getting rounds of applause on his uh, approach on climate change. And it, and you know what it doesn't include? A carbon tax. So it's, uh, I think they, they, and their emissions have gone down more. And they're, they're gone down way more. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot there that appeals to those soccer moms you're talking about. And staying on those messages is, is great. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to have in the window all of the, uh, the sort of minor issues that we're talking about that, uh, that'll be part of the convention. Uh, you know, but you don't want to have those as your main themes of the campaign. And, and all evidence would point to, uh, the conservatives, uh, are, are going to focus on the big stuff. Does Pierre Polyev, um, increasing in support hurt your guy does it hurt doug ford do you believe in this alternation theory of politics I, in ontario i think it's superstition <laughs> more than it is reality um uh you tend like i'll give you a much better explanation for why uh you've seen that and it's not that people want to have a liberal government federally and a conservative provincially and then flip around it's what we're talking about around the longevity of governments like it's it's very it's very hard to uh, stay in government past two terms, or like two full terms federally. Uh, we've had three minority governments and liberals. Uh, um, but, you know, once you're up at, a, you know, pushing a decade in power, it's pretty hard to stay. Uh, if you look at uh, just the past hundred years of elections federally, provincially, you tend to get one more term. Uh, you, you know, you see a lot more examples of, of, of three, uh, governments in a row. So if you think of, you know, the McGinty two terms and then one with Wynn, uh, uh, you know, you, you can see a change after two as well, but you know, there are many, many, many examples of three terms. And in some smaller provinces, uh, you know, those, those can be five or six terms. Like if you're looking at provinces like Saskatchewan or, uh, or Alberta. So, uh, I don't think it makes a big difference. I think it's more about the accumulation of uh, pebbles in your backpack that, that drives that. Uh, and so I think for Ford, it's, it, you know, he got reelected on, on a, um, on a theme of getting it done, building, you know, it's really a, a you know, an active building, uh, agenda. And, uh, coming into the next election, people will look and say, Hey, did you actually get it done or did you not? And, uh, you know, and I think that's really what's 
it's going to hinge on for 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 uh, for the Ford government. Uh, less about who's in Ottawa. It, in the 2022 campaign, there was a lot of criticism. I, I didn't understand the criticism, but a lot of people criticized your "get it done" um, slogan, saying, "Well, it's it, it doesn't mean anything." And I thought, well, it's actually for politics. And I think I wrote a column about this in the Sun. It's actually really good because you applied it to everything. Yeah, and well, you went around and you'd say, "Well, thing. we're going to do a, ho- a yeah. hospital." Well, the largest, lar- largest conservative majority in eighty years in the province of Ontario. So, uh, you know, with all due respect, to those who are, are criticizing it. But Pierre looks like he's copying it with um, his "Bring It Home." Bring it home. Does yeah. that work? I think it does. Uh, I I like "Bring It Home" because it 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 has a, a connotation around uh, a reclaiming of. Of, uh, uh, of something I think that we've lost. And, and that's part of this middle class dream, you know, and this is what the housing piece really touches on. That, uh, if you work hard and play by the rules, as, uh, <laughs> as the, uh, Stephen Harper slogan was or narrative was, uh, there are certain things that you, you expect. There was a kind of a consensus that, you know, you would be able to get a house, you know, or a mortgage and, uh, uh, and provide that sort of security for your family. Uh, and you see men and women who have done everything right in terms of building a career and are quite successful and, and, you know, from an income perspective, who home ownership is not a prospect in today's prices. You know, uh, it's very difficult to find housing, uh, in parts of this country, uh, where you're not having to put down a million dollars or more for, for what used to be uh, a house that you could buy for, for a fraction of that. So it, it's really pushed that dream of home ownership and that consensus, uh, out of the reach of, of a broad swath of people, particularly millennials and new Canadians. And, uh, uh, and so saying it, you're going to bring it home that you're going to, you know, you're going to, you know, try to reclaim that, um, uh, uh, that opportunity for the broad swath of, of folks, uh, who are, 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 uh, middle class is, is very positive. I think it's a very optimistic message. The, while you and I are talking about all of this, you know that, uh, by the time the convention's over and between now and the next election, there will be a lot of folks in the media taking shots at Pierre. Yep. Um, you, work closely with a lot of people in the media you get along with people whose um outlets may have a very different political view than you but you've also battled with the media before yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you may have started a tv network that i worked at as well but that's another <laughs> story uh, how to what would your advice be for pierre and his team dealing with uh, a media that I, I'm, I'm not sure we can say they're always giving trudeau a pass now but they did for a long time, and yep. they'll never give him a pass. So how does he deal with them? Professionally, uh, I, I think you're always better to uh, engage than disengage uh, when it comes to, to comms and media relations. Uh, that doesn't mean that every interview is going to be friendly, that there isn't uh, there isn't uh, some uh, you know evidence of bias, etc. in reporting. But the public is pretty sophisticated, as you know, uh, Ryan, about this. They can tell when somebody is stacking the deck, when somebody's working a story, when somebody is overly hostile in an interview. And if you're able to maintain your cool and you're able to um, uh, continue to, to, to communicate, um, 
you get a lot of credit from from people who are actually at home listening and watching. Uh, you're never going to win everybody over, but uh, you know it's an opportunity to 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 get your message out, and and you should take all those opportunities if you're running for office. So I I, I don't think you know winning in the media is having friendly interviews and having editorial spin that's you know all in your favor. I think winning in the media is getting your message in front of people. And uh, people will uh, will discard the the bias and the uh, and the spin uh, more often than not. Anyway, some people will like it and agree with it. Some people will discard it. Uh, but you know, the, the objective is to get your voice heard. Everyone that reads my columns and listens to this podcast agrees with everything I say. <laughs> I, n- I never. Well, I do, Brian, <laughs> but that's just because we're friends and you're very clear thinking. So <laughs> I, uh, I I never get emails from people oh, criticizing. Yeah. No, nor do I. <laughs> Corey tonight. Thanks so much. Yeah, real pleasure. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Prout with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Listen through the app, find us, give us a review, leave a rating, and tell your friends and your Aunt May and Whitby all about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.